This is the CU 2.0 podcast with your host, Robert McGarvey. Big new ideas about credit unions. Big new ideas about credit unions. CU 2.0 podcast. What a difference a few months make. Earlier this year, the hot idea in CU land was BNPL. Buy now, pay later tools that allow consumers to pay for an item. Anything from a pizza at Gold Belly to a fancy exercise bike over multiple months. But now CFPB is asking BNPL players for lots of info about their practices. Regulations are probably coming. Changes are afoot. Add in sky-high inflation and its impact on consumer wallets and also the cost of money. And suddenly, in some quarters, BNPL is just another four-letter word, not to be uttered in polite company. Well, let's not exaggerate. Just this week, Apple announced its intent to get into BNPL. When Apple goes to a place, it legitimizes that place. Now are you confused? Here to unravel our confusion is Paul Davis from SRM, who tells us about a recently issued white paper on BNPL and its findings for credit unions. A particular note is that SRM sees a continuing role for BNPL but stresses that we viewed not as a standalone, but as a component of a holistic product set. Davis also tells what a credit union needs to do in deciding where and if to deploy BNPL, and he suggests that credit unions are well-positioned to integrate BNPL with consumer financial education tools. Listen up to this installment of CU 2.0 Newsflash, where we give voice to credit union news. The tide has changed in the last couple of months. BNPL looks like a much more risky, fraught proposition than it did six months ago. Uh, stock prices of big BNPL players are just cratering. Mm-hmm. And why this change of sentiment? Well, I think there are a couple of things at work. Um, number one, uh, the CFPB, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, has definitely made it clear that they're going to scrutinize the practice. You know, they've requested information from a number of uh, fintech providers of buy now, pay later uh, products. So you've got that. Obviously, with uh, inflation, with rising rates, all that kind of stuff, the kind of the uh, macro envir- uh, economic environment, you know, there are going to be concerns about the creditworthiness of uh, clients as well. So, you know, those two things. Um, do make people skeptical, particularly when you have new entrants that don't really, you know, that haven't had established track records in good and bad cycles. I think it's also unclear what credit giving algorithms some of these companies were using. Were they using any? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the the few you know mainstream financial institutions that are offering these types of services. You know, I think Citizens Financial comes to mind. You know, what they're doing to kind of mitigate risk is being very careful in terms of the partners that they're working with at point of sale, right? So there's a big distinction between offering a buy now, pay later solution for someone to buy groceries or buy gas, right? Versus offering that kind of option for a big ticket item, you know, something like you said, bigger than Gold Belly, something, you know, 500 you know, plus dollars where, you know, spacing out the payments over four periods maybe makes more sense. So I think 
Well, you know, part of it is established financial firms. What we argue is that the established banks and credit unions have the internal processes and the compliance uh, infrastructure in place to dip their toes in the water uh, and mitigate the kind of exposure that some of these uh, startups are, are, are experiencing right now. And, you know, American Express is, offer, is offering buy now, pay later. Right, um, right. And Apple now has announced it's interested in or go, actually going into buy now, pay later. So I, I can say that the tide has shifted a bit for buy now, pay later, but it's not taken it all the way out to sea, I don't think. Not yet. Right. I mean, I think, you know, you have, still have a rather limited number of players in the space. So, you know, if you get more people entering that space, there's a lot more temptation to move, you know, cave a little bit in terms of your terms, uh, in terms of what you're willing to do, because obviously things become hyper competitive and people have to continue to fuel the fuel the growth. So, you know, at this stage, while there's still a limited number of people in the space, um, there is probably more leeway when it comes to kind of setting your own parameters for credit appetite, the kind of uh, merchant partners you want to work with, that kind of thing. And there, there are certainly steps towards using traditional credit reporting tools mm-hmm. for BNPL customers, which is good news, bad news. A fair number of the customers have thin credit files, not necessarily bad. And there's some some data from TransUnion suggests that many of them have poor, very poor credit, but some just have very little credit of any kind. Mm-hmm. Well, the way I look at it, and way I think we look, we talked about this in the report as well, is you know that's why it makes sense to make buy now pay later part of a broader suite of products uh, on the payment side. One idea that would make sense to the situation that you you brought up is maybe having a financial education element attached to the buy now pay later product, so that people who are looking at that product also get strong advice from their financial institution on how to responsibly manage their uh, credit situation and their finances. I mean, that's an area where banks and credit unions have done well in the past, right? Is, you know, is, is in financial literacy. So having that kind of element might make the product stronger over time. Well, the, the data we see shows that default and late pay rates are significantly higher multiples higher than they are on credit cards and again it's because the, the the buyers haven't really been they haven't been analyzed in a credit worthiness way for the reasons we've discussed the, the data might not exist and also these are really fast decisions that, that get made it's uh you probably have well under a minute to make a decision about funding or not funding a BNPL purchase. True. You again, it comes down to sometimes the partnerships and ha- and being wise in who you work with on the lend as a lender. Uh, the other thing to take into account is that banks and credit unions, you know, traditional financial companies have the structures in place to handle expected losses. Right. So, you know, you have reserves set up for. Potential losses in certain portfolios, you know, clearly if you see loss rates in buy now, pay later, 
above those for credit cards, then you know a responsible traditional financial institution would you know provide appropriately for those potential uh, exposures. So I mean, there are you know, again the argument could be made that traditional financial institutions definitely have the policies, procedures, the compliance structures in place to you know to look into buy now pay later without getting too far ahead of their skis. Do you see more institutions actually doing that at this point? I know our, our report had a bit of a contrarian view or encouraging people to do it because right now the general consensus is, you know, most are not. Um, I think, you know, we, we cited a report that said 80% of smaller financial institutions are reluctant to, to get into the space. Um, I can see their point. Um, there is some uncertainty in terms of the regulatory environment, uh, in terms of wanting to see some longer term uh, credit metrics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be rather limited how many people get into the space. Um, the argument could be made that with the appropriate amount of research, due diligence, uh, internal controls, um, kind of like what we, we, when we talk to folks about digital assets, for example, it's not for everybody, but with the appropriate amount of research, education, doing your homework, understanding the competitive landscape, um, there is room for some folks to get early mover advantage in that space. Um, and, you know, the other argument we make is that it's not just an offensive tool. Um, in some ways, we feel like it could be a defensive play because over time, you're going to see some of these fintech companies start to offer more traditional products that are going to compete with, uh, with, uh, with traditional financial institutions as well. Well, PayPal, in many ways does already compete with traditional financial institutions and partners with them, but competes with them too. Absolutely. I mean, and I believe Klarna came out with the Klarna card, which, uh, you know, seems to be moving the, the, the goalpost a little bit more closer to traditional consumer products. So you're right, whether it's a big guy, big established name like PayPal or some of these uh, newer folks, um, you know, credit unions need to just kind of keep an eye on them and, uh, be aware that, you know, the goal here is for these guys to not be exclusive buy now, pay later providers. These guys really do want the full uh, consumer relationship if they can get it. How does it, an era of inflation impact BNPL? The way I see it, two years ago, when Apple financed a phone for me with 0% interest, mm-hmm. money was free. What difference did it make? It's uh now money's not going to be free much longer because we're seeing pretty staggeringly high inflation rates, highest inflation rates we've seen in a generation. Sure. Well, my first caveat, Robert, is that I am not an economist by uh, by education or trade. Um, but in just intuitively, I mean, uh, inflation is going to be raising the price of, of goods, right? So the purchase price at point of sale for a lot of these uh, products is going to go up. People are going to put more, you know, spend more through their buy now, pay later uh, platforms, their accounts. So on that side of things, you know, that's something to watch. You know, and obviously, as we're seeing inflation, we're also going to see the Federal Reserve through monetary policy increase interest rates. We've seen, what, 75 basis points of rate increases uh, since March. You know, that's going to affect, you know, some things as well. I mean, I don't see there being a whole lot of variable rate, you know, products out there. I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, people's mortgages and stuff, but, you know, there are other consumer loans out there that are going to be variable rate. that are going to, 
you know, the paying those monthly bills are going to be a little bit higher too in a rising rate environment. So yeah, so cost of goods goes up. You know, people have to spend a little more on buy now, pay later. You add that to the potential slight, you know, the, the increase in you know the you know cost of maintaining your service on your some of your consumer loans. I mean, yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. I think one way a, a credit union can manage its risk in VMPL, and you suggest this already, but it's being very conscious about what sort of vendors you're partnering with. I mean, I'm, I'm troubled when I see BMPL used for what I view as just ordinary, regular consumer purchases like groceries. Right. And it's, you know, heavens knows I, I want to help the people who need help to buy groceries, but do I want to view this as a money-making financing opportunity? I don't. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's again, yeah. So that's the point that I made earlier that, you know, I believe, you know, I read recently, you know, that an executive citizen said that's, that's the key to their program, which they've had for several years is that is, you know, not getting into offering buy now, pay later for, you know, everyday purchases. I mean, in a perfect world for them, the platform is for larger ticket you know, items, you know, things that make a lot of sense to spread out over, you know, several months of payments. Um, I think, you know, when you see the CFPB's, you know, re- you know, inquiry into the practices of uh, these newer uh, companies, yeah, those are the kind of things people are going to want to look for, right? Is exactly that. How many, p- how, mu- how much buy now, pay later is actually being attributed to small dollar uh, everyday kind of purchases versus more like one-time uh, kind of larger ticket uh, transactions. Yeah, the numbers I see suggest that the average BNPL purchase is in the order of 100, 100 bucks, 110 bucks. Okay. Which, uh, now, there are these fantastic success stories like Peloton, I believe much of their success was. Uh, the, it was sold as a BNPL product with, I think, a two year payoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the pandemic, when people weren't paying their gym bills, mm-hmm. uh, that money could be diverted into paying for your, your Peloton bicycle, pretty much right. straight up deal. And I, that, that makes sense to me. Buying a Peloton doesn't make sense to me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that basic idea makes sense to me. Right. I mean, you know, we say in the report, you know, what's old is new again. So, you know, buy now, pay later is really just a technology-driven twist on things that we've seen in, in financing you know, purchases for decades. I mean, I remember, you know, you know, 10 years ago, you know, going to a furniture store and buying a bedroom suite, you know, on a, you know, 12, 24 months, same as cash kind of deal, right? So you, you did a credit finance for it, you needed to pay each month and you paid it off by the time, you know, the interest rate kicked in. So, you know, I mean, the idea of taking possession of a good and then spreading out payments over time is certainly not new. I think it's just the couple of things, you know, the advent of the pandemic, leading more people to purchase things online, more of those kind of remote uh, purchase decisions combined with, you know, people realizing that there's so much efficiency and ease of use with some of these, you know, apps that, you know, the retail apps as well. So those types of things, I think, have encouraged this trend as, as much as anything else. Now, if a, a credit union client approaches you and says, 
give me some action steps vis-a-vis BNPL. What should I be doing now? What would you tell them? That's an excellent question. Um, you know, I would advise them kind of like we do any other business opportunity, whether it's crypto or a collaborative fintech partnership is, um, number one, do your homework, do the due diligence, right? Study the, the data, look at what the average transaction size is, understand who the players are, decide if there's a way for you to position yourself differently. Um, number two, I would look at buy now, pay later, not as a standalone product, but see how it can be incorporated within the entire ecosystem of your payments platform. You know, can you, how do you integrate buy now, pay later with other consumer products? Can you add in a financial education element to this? I mean, is this a good way to bring the unbanked and underbanked into the financial system as well. You know, is this a potential way of uh, being, in, you know, fi- a financial inclusion? Um, clearly, understand the risks involved. You know, look at the default rates, uh, things like that. And then the last thing I would say is I would encourage credit unions to talk to their members, talk to their board board about this. Clearly, discuss it with the regulators. In other words, create this. Uh, internal ecosystem of people who all have a voice in the process can help, you know, credit union management, you know, weigh the pros and cons and make an informed decision. Before we go, think hard about how you can help support this podcast so we can do more interviews with more thoughtful leaders in the credit union world. What we're trying to figure out here in these podcasts is what's next for credit unions. What can they do to really, really, really make a difference in the financial scene? Can't all be mega banks, can it? It's my hope it won't all be mega banks. It'll always be a place for credit unions. That's what we're discussing here. So figure out how you can help. Get in touch with me. This is rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. Robert McGarvey again, that's rjmcgarvey at gmail.com. Get in touch. We'll figure out a way that you can help. We need your support. We want your support. We thank you for your support. The CU 2.0 Podcast.